I just go for it. It's like a search, when you turn on search mechanism and you just like, you, you, you search, you really try to feel it. It's a leap into the void and it's a good leap into the void. It's terrifying. It's terrifying, but then you just keep doing it because it's terrifying and it's also addictive and it's kind of like, you want to do it. You want to be able to leap into the void and just mm -hmm. kind of survive it somehow. It's a thrill, it's thrilling. Hey everyone, how's it going? This is Keith Billick, and you're listening to the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, for those of you who have been listening to, to these shows for a while, that I was congratulating myself on making it to 10 episodes, and now I'm at episode number 25, so I'm at the quarter century mark, and man, it's been a, it's been a great time, and I hope to keep this going strong for as long as possible. Really the thing that keeps me motivated to keep making these, aside from my own interest in meeting up with these great banjo players and getting to talk some shop and, and learning how their minds work when they're playing this great music that they do, um, is, is your support. And I love getting emails from you, and even if it's just a quick note of, hey Keith, I've been listening to all the episodes, keep up the great work. I get those all the time, and, and every single one is a really welcome addition to my day. It, it, uh, it, it means a lot that you all reach out to me and, and offer whatever comments you have. Another great way to support the podcast to, and to make sure that these keep getting made is to visit the Patreon site and become a Patreon sponsor of the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast. That website is patreon.com slash banjo podcast. So I encourage you to all check that out. And if you're so inclined, become a sponsor of the show. And that, that of course, is also greatly appreciated, especially if maybe, I don't know, if, if one of you listeners happens to be that 24-year-old guy in Wisconsin who just won $700 million in the lottery, or maybe one of you is that sports gambler who keeps winning on Jeopardy and setting all those records, if one of you is listening, you really need to go to the Patreon page. But in all seriousness, that's a great way to support the show, and I encourage you all to do that. This episode actually has two sponsors from the Patreon page that I need to recognize for their support to the show. The first one is a guy named Johnny Slumpf, and for any of you who maybe have seen a band called Out of Nowhere out in Colorado or the surrounding areas, you've seen Johnny play. Johnny is the banjo player for Out of Nowhere. So any of you who are in that area, go check those guys out. And if you run into Johnny, the banjo player, tell him I said, hey, buy him a drink for me or something. Uh, at any rate, thanks, Johnny, for your support. I really appreciate it. The other Patreon supporter of today's show is a fellow Michigander. Yes, that's what we are called, people from Michigan. We are Michiganders. Uh, his name is Steve Thayer. Not only is Steve a banjo player, but he's trying his hand at building some banjos. He attended a workshop recently where he got to construct a banjo, so that's pretty cool. When he's not doing that stuff, he's working as a veterinarian up here in Michigan. So Steve, thank you, number one, for keeping all of our beloved pets uh, as safe and healthy and happy as possible. And of course, big thanks as well for supporting the show here. So once again, for any of you who want to be supporters of the podcast, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast, and you can learn all about it there. 
Anybody who has any other feedback or comments, suggestions, all that business, just email me at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. And other than that, just thanks everyone for, for listening. I'm really happy you could join me. Today's show is going to be a little bit different. It's a great episode with a very interesting and informative guest. I think you'll really enjoy it. But the main difference here is that for those of you who are regular listeners to the podcast, you might remember a few episodes ago, I interviewed a very talented man named Aaron Jonah Lewis. And there was a bonus episode before that, where I I let you know that Aaron's a buddy of mine, and he expressed interest in actually conducting some of his own interviews on behalf of the podcast. I thought that was a great idea and gave you all a heads up that that might be coming up. Well, this is your first opportunity to hear Aaron at work. So I get a break this this episode. You won't be hearing my beautiful voice conversing with these banjo players. It's going to be Aaron taking care of the interviewing duties. The special guest that Aaron is going to interview here is a fellow named Joe Troop. Joe Troop is a, a fantastic banjo player. His main band is a group called Che Apalache. For anyone who has not heard of them, you should probably check them out. The, and the spelling of that is Che, C-H-E, and then Apalache, A-P-A-L-A-C-H-E. Joe is a currently a resident of Argentina, but he's originally from from the States, North Carolina. So he was brought up in a very traditional banjo-y background, but he has since infused his playing with all sorts of other influences. And anybody who knows me personally knows that I'm a sucker for world music and and exotic sounding influences. This band is is really great. When you hear them, I can honestly say I'd, I had never heard any music like that. They they really take a lot of American string band tradition and mix it with a lot of those world influences, such as tango, bossa nova, some Mexican folk influences, and then of course American string band influence as well. So I'm really entertained by these guys. Joe is actually the fiddler of that band but is a fantastic banjo player, and he gives some really good takes on what it means to be original as a musician and and how he approaches that. So I think you're going to really like what he has to say. So yeah, hope you enjoy it. Here it is, Joe Troop interviewed by Aaron Jonah Lewis. here with Joe Troop of Buenos Aires, Argentina. Joe is a multi-instrumentalist, a composer, uh, band leader. Uh, he's toured extensively and has lived in many far-flung parts of the world, including Spain and Japan and Argentina for the past eight years. Mm-hmm. Uh, he speaks many languages and his love of exploring other cultures is a big part of his music and informs his music and uh, we want to dive in with uh, just the the basics first what people should know about you if they don't already know about you I uh, am 
from North Carolina, from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and when I discovered the banjo, it lit a fire in my soul that has not gone out to this day, and it also led me into the whole world of string band music, and fiddle, of course, mandolin, guitar, the whole family, Appalachian string band family, which also is debatably not Appalachian, but we won't get into that. So, from the age of 14 on, I... I sort of just got bit by the music listening bug and playing bug, and I got to I got to train with. Given the fact that I'm from North Carolina, I had I was able to access uh, great teachers from you know from the get go. So I learned from some of the best players there are out there. You know, like, like. Uh, well, uh, I started off with a guy named Gary Chilton, who was a great teacher at community music school, and then he just sent me to Jody King who plays banjo with um, Larry Cordell and has played with a whole ton of bands, Johnny and Jeanette Williams. And then he sent me to Craig Smith. Craig Smith's a mountain of, of, of banjo information. and He's just an amazing player. And then I also got to study with Rex McGee because he's from King and I'm from Winston. It's about a 15-minute drive. I came across tons of other young musicians who were playing, you know, like... Well, like you, Aaron, and like uh, Andy Thorne and Ryan Cavanaugh, and just a ton of other people that were as into music as I was that were gonna go into it from the get-go as like professionals. You know, they wanted we all wanted to be music musicians. So that's basically it. I uh, I, I started playing banjo when I was 15, and that's pretty much all I did until I was 18, and then I started playing fiddle more seriously, and I kind of uh, cut back on banjo until I was in my mid 20s. How did you start learning banjo? I started learning banjo... The reason I started is because I was obsessed with bluegrass when I when I heard it played live at a around a campfire at a school retreat. A banjo player and a guitarist, they were like the camp counselors. They took out their instruments and started playing, you know, in the middle of the woods. And everything, I, I just, I found myself. I like, I love nature, I love hiking, I love music. I just found it all that one night when I was 14 years old. So, uh, you know, my dad went and got a banjo from the pawn shop in Winston-Salem, a cheap Chinese piece of crap, and uh, I just played it until it about broke in half, and uh, then I got a better banjo, and I just kept... I mean, that's what I did in high school. 15 to 18, 19 years old, that's all I, I lived and breathed the banjo and the music of Bela Fleck, but also traditional bluegrass, you know, and just... I gave it hell, as they say. Just describe, like, what you were actually doing when you were getting started. I guess I did a lot. I learned what my teachers taught me. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you're a kid, and they're adults, and you learn what they teach you. So it's kind of fun. I got, I ended up with proficient, you know, technical proficiency just because, you know, my ego wasn't in place enough as a, as a child, well, as, a, as, a, as a teenager, young teenager, to really be like, are you sure? Or they were just like, do this. And I said, okay. And I did it. So my, I guess I, looking back, I just learned a ton of fiddle tunes on banjo. And then I, I learned to jam and I would go to jams. I'd drive up to Mount Airy. There was a jam in Winston on Tuesdays. There was a jam on, in Mount Airy, I think on Sundays. There were regional fiddle. I started going to fiddlers conventions. That's where I met you here at Galax. I just started, you know, surrounding myself with other people, like-minded people. And I just, became part of the tribe and like we all did and we just you know found it 
and uh, and that's that's it. You know, I'd run into other players and just like everyone else, you just get inspired by the fact that oh my gosh, that guy does that, that girl does that. Whoa, I want to do that. I go and learn the lick, and uh, I got the tab books. I watched the VHS. Uh, if I had access to them, I believe I did. I don't remember if I really did that. In fact, actually, you know, most of everything I learned was uh, either... I didn't even learn that much on tab. It was just straight from the recordings and also from my teachers. Old school. This was before, you know, YouTube and whatnot, so... I yeah. kind of got the information straight from the source. I didn't really... I don't even think I learned that much off of uh, recordings on banjo when I was a kid. I just learned it straight from, you know, Gary and Jody and... And Craig and Rex. And so if someone else. was wanting to learn banjo and there was no one around to learn from, you would you say just move to North Carolina? That's banjo country. Well, I wouldn't say that necessarily because you can like nowadays you can just get on YouTube and find tutorials. Everything changed. It changed the paradigm. That's why these kids play so amazingly well. It's like full of the technical advance uh, advancements in the. In the string band world are, are kind of like we I mean you and me were sitting around playing music with a bunch of 15 year olds today that play way better than us yeah <laughs> in a way I mean it's like but it also maybe just because we're older and you know went through a different process it makes me want to ask that question this is kind of an out there philosophical question but yeah you know how sheet music posed this aid to learning yeah and recording music that previously didn't exist and was such a right. help and then we have recording technology and now videos and internet and that is all even more helpful even right. more important for you know preserving these sounds and and how things are done but is there something still that you can't get without being in that place with those people oh obviously yeah totally old school man that's yeah. how that's how it, that's how it really is we all know that those of us who are you know, like forest gnomes, and I use that term as in a very endearing way. So those of us that are hamsters, I mean, we have kind of a philosophical thing going, and it's hard for maybe uh, those of you who are listening, you're like, what? Forest gnomes? Hamsters? There's a musical fellowship that kind of takes you away from the mundane world into this magical unicorn ride through the stratosphere. It doesn't even necessarily involve substances to get you there. You just end up on this beautiful, colorful flight across imagination and it's just learning it's it's just beautiful experience. Growing. I can't I just got the chills thinking about it. It's just I know. like it's and we kinda you describe. lose you kinda lose it, but when you now we're like thir in our mid thirties, pushing forty, and these kids are there, you know, they're there and it's like, wow, you're there, man. And it makes me there again. Yeah. Like, I feel like I'm there again, you know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. I should mention, we're, we're here at the Galax Fiddler's, Fiddler's Commission. Commission. Oh, we're in our mecca. <laughs> this, this is it for us. We're not going to go on and on about Galax, because it's a very special thing, and it deserves its own special episode. Absolutely. But um, that's where we are, and uh, it's a very inspiring place for both of us, and for pretty much everyone here. Let's talk a little bit technical. What's your main banjo? My main instrument? The, the, yeah, banjo-wise. Uh, well, I, I, okay, well, so I am playing now. I've, I've had a uh, gold tone for, like, the past ten years. I had a Neckville when I was in high school. 
I also had it during good time. I've never had like a huge, like a hugely upscale banjo because they were ludicrously expensive, you know. So I just kind of took the the low road and got did what I, I have recently gotten a uh, a very lightweight banjo made by Jody King, who is my childhood banjo instructor, and uh, he um, he sort of made a banjo out of a carbon fiber tone ring, very light woods. It's a, it's a banjo that's great for traveling, taking it apart, getting on airplanes, because I travel with two instruments, you know? I, like, tour all around the world, and I've got to be able to get my instrument on a plane easily. So that, that banjo is a, a great travel banjo, um, but it's also, you know, a great banjo in its own right. Uh, I'm in the market now. I've got uh, Jody himself actually lent me this beautiful Sullivan maple banjo, but I think I'm more fond of mahogany, like the banjo Rex McGee has that I saw last night. That really struck me as the kind of sound I'm looking for, so I might end up with a, what was it, a Davis banjo? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really I really liked that banjo last night. When you're performing with the banjo, what kind of mic or pickup do you use? Do you have a preference? Do you have a regular thing? The pickup that is in my banjo is really good. I've used it on stage a lot. I have no idea what it's called because I'm not a gear boy. I just uh, should know, but I don't. All I know is it works. When I mic a banjo, I use a shot condenser. It's an Audio-Technica. I don't even know what model. It sits vertically. It sounds really good. Everything I do is uh, basically because Jody set it up. He said, get that mic and use this pickup and use this preamp and blah, 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 blah. And I just do it, but I'm not technically that aware of anything. Let's go back to, um, yeah, since the, the gear part isn't isn't going to be a big focus with this interview, where would you suggest that a novice begin? Banjo playing, three-finger style banjo playing, or any style of banjo playing? Three-finger, I would say, to start with... The gr- what I call to, for my students in Argentina let me tune this banjo because I've got the fifth string I would say start with the essence of the roll there's a 16 note pattern that is really helpful to get people to understand like what the banjo is what three finger banjo playing is so that's the roll it goes it's a forward through four three one five and then it goes back one, three, four, one. So that's the first half of it. That's a one measure roll because it's eight notes. And in banjos, we're doing, you know, constant eighth note flow. The second roll would be. Face value, you know, it's cool. It sounds good. It has a lot of directions. You're going forward. You come back. You have a leap from four to one. It's a big interval. And then that thrusts you into a forward roll. And back again. And then you finish up with this other, like, leap. And then you start the whole thing over. That's how I view it. You think directionally as a three-finger banjo. You're going forward, back, leap, forward, then back, and then leap. And that's the whole roll. And anyway, but if you think about 
what the four strings doing here it tells you a lot about counterpoint in bluegrass as a genre, for example. So. So you have that fourth string, you've got a roll that's 16 notes, and you cycle it endlessly, and you connect with it. You feel it shape, you know, like different contours, and then you incorporate the a very simple sliding pattern on the fourth string. Fourth string. of the five string banjo. So I start all my students with that role and I call it el gran rol, which means the great role. That's great. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I never encountered uh, starting with the 16 note role. I, it's always been these shorter Oh, of course. I, you know, like, you in the first class, I, I'm like, well, this is forward. Five, three, one. This is backwards. Reverse roll. One, three, five. There's some rolls that like go four, two, three, one. Where you use your thumb, you know, like thumb, index, thumb, middle, those kind of patterns. And then there's like, you know, you do thumb, uh, you do uh, four, three, two, one, five, and then back through the same pattern. You go thumb, index, thumb, middle, thumb, middle, thumb, index, thumb. It's a hard thing to coordinate. Oh. You show them all, I show them that. You do that with beginners. Yeah, and I do that with beginners. Straight from the get-go. Put their picks on them. And like, Index look. leading. Yeah, and then I don't incorporate... The first class, I never, like... I'm not, I don't even talk about left hand unless they're gifted. And then some some people, like, they get it. And they're like, okay, show me more. And I show them more. But for, the, like, for, the, for most people... And I've given thousands, probably thousands of banjo classes. So, like... It's I've you tried this out, you know, because I, I I was a banjo instructor to make my living for a lot of years, but so it's like that's that works, and then you know if once you work through those patterns, you show them later in the class like okay here's your challenge, try to do this 16 note the great roll, and then of course I always reference that roll because when you're playing backup in a bluegrass you're backing up a fiddle you always go back to that roll. It's like the role everyone uses. I don't know if anyone else has like pinpointed it as a role, but everyone does do it. I just taught so many classes, I think at one moment it dawned on me. I was like, oh, that's the role everyone uses. I don't remember having learned it myself that way. No one taught it to me. Or maybe they did, and I just forgot. I was so young. So, What kind of picks do you use? When I was 15, uh, this guy named Billy Hamilton from Winston-Salem, he just gave me a couple sets of national you know, silver-coated uh, picks, you know, the, the, the like the old school from the 40s. So I've got the real thing. I, and I've had these, I've used these picks for, I guess, 17 years. Never lost them. Just have always used them. I've happened to driven, I've happened to, I've had to drive, like, you know, hours to go get them where I forgot them. I have had to do that, but... Uh, and then on my thumb, I use a Dunlop medium gauge calico plastic pick. You wear that right on the very tip of and your I, thumb. And I wear a, I'm or a medium and it's on the very tip of my thumb. Yeah, I never got into the big fat, like, in the middle of your thumb kind of, like, large pick thing. The Golden Gate style, like, uh, thicker. And the, uh, 
The finger picks are, how do you wear them on your finger? Do I wear, oh yeah. Past I, your fingertip? Uh, how would you describe that, actually, if you're looking at it? They're kind of turned upwards. I believe I turned them up. Yeah, they're, they're turned up a bit, and there's, you know... Pretty close. Maybe even like a quarter inch of space between your fingertip and the tip of the... Yeah, there is. And that's just how I started doing it, and I never... I don't know. So now, now let's talk about your style and how you yeah. how you how you approach the string with your pick. How do you make contact? Yeah, I make contact at a uh, well. I cut the angle. You know, it's like a forty-five degree angle. Um, I guess because I think the pick surface cuts the string at a forty-five degree angle, and then you just roll it off of it. It's like uh, I guess the. I mean, I think that's what everyone does, honestly. I just don't know how to articulate this in English. Like, the pick, the left side of the pick cuts the string at a 45-degree angle, like, basically coming up towards your face. Mm -hmm. It's hard to visualize. But that creates that, you have to have that angle to have an attack. If you hit it flush, it's going to sound like crap. So the same thing happens with your thumb. But the angle, the, that 45-degree angle on the left side of the pick is actually cutting what would be, like, diagonally towards, uh, you know, like, the angle that would cut between where the, um, neck and the resonator come together, like a perfect 45 degree angle out of that crevice, that's the, uh, I mean, that's pretty sure it's what everyone does. I don't like to hit it, some people cock their thumb back a little bit and have that kind of thing going, and they get the pick on the other side, you know, some people actually play the other side of the pick. I like to play the, what would be looking down at it, the left side of the pick. But I also bury on the tip, but I'm not comfortable having the whole tip, so when I, if I would ever have to use a new thumb pick, I like to sand them down a little bit and kind of get a, uh, kind of a used picks sort of feel. How would you suggest improving your own timing? Um, playing with, along with recordings or a metronome. Mm -hmm. Gotta do that. Do you play with a balance or with straight time? Um, it depends. Both. You have to play with different kinds of swings. So you've got like straight time. You do the same rhythm. there that's really important. Yeah, do you, like to, bluegrass. do you like to play in front of the beat, behind the beat, right on the beat? Depends. I like to do it all. Yeah. Sometimes I like to hit it real hard. Of course, like if you're like doing a different genre, it's like has nothing to do with the drive. Bluegrass, you could be like. I'll do that again because I'm my seat's moving. swing at all that's like a tango kind of feel it's like a you know piano approach to banjo which Bela Fleck pioneered and now a lot of other people have picked up on but it sounds really cool the banjo is so expressive as a 
it's like a non-bluegrass instrument too. You know, I feel that. What kind of strings do you use? Oh well, I just use the one. That's the thing. I, I did not explore gear on either as a fiddle player or as a banjo player. I just ended up. My teachers told me use uh, the JD Crow, the GHS JD Crow banjo set, light gauge strings, and I just did it. However, last night while playing Rex's banjo, he uses a uh, a thicker gauge string, and I and I really liked it. So now I'm in the process of deliberation. And what am I? I'm actually now at the age of 35, uh, starting to to uh, I'm I'm starting to imagine a potential banjo project project and the sound that I want, and I'm exploring that. You have made recordings with your banjo. I've made recordings with the... I guess I did both of my recording... I, I played with a bassist in Argentina called Diego, named Diego Sanchez for seven years, and we did two recordings, and I, on both of those recordings I play my kind of cheap Chinese entry-level banjo, which sounds good, you know? It doesn't sound like... You know, uh, a lot of ba people get into banjo that have a lot of money and they get great banjos. Regardless if they know how to play or not, they'll get great banjos. But it's really not the banjo. I would say it's the player. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've seen tons of people who prove that to me. So, um, but regardless of what I just said, I you know I think that you know, gear is important, and, and I'm searching right now to try to. Now that I got a little bit more cash flow, I'm going to try to get a better, um, get exactly the sound I want. I want a real, like, mellow-sounding banjo for more singer-songwriter oriented stuff. I like to sing and play banjo at the same time. It's kind of like my shtick. And you're a composer as well. And I compose. How do you go about composing? Uh, it just happens, accidentally. You know, I'll you stay find open something. to it. Stay open to it. Absolutely. Like if I if I found like I found a roll, I found a chord shape. I don't even know what chord that is. So so and a roll. It sounds beautiful. I don't even know what it is. And then sing on top of it. Algo pasa entre la gente. Just, you know, like I just find stuff that I think sounds hip and then I stick with it. And then I'll be inspired by like one day I wrote, like, you know, I just wrote a tango a few weeks ago. I just sat down and I don't know, it had to come out. I spent all day doing it, just whittled away at it like a carving. And it just flows. It's like a creative process. I don't know how to explain it. it when, it's when innate you, in me. What was the first time? When did that happen? When I was like 15, when I was just started playing, I, I, I wrote, I started writing. Like, to me, that's what I am. I don't know. I'm not that great of a tune guy. I end up knowing a lot of tunes just because of, you know, I'm around it. But I'm not, like, I don't approach music that way. Which has caused me a lot of frustration, too, because I almost wish I did sometimes. I'm like, oh my god, I want to learn that song, and that song, and that song, but I just never do it. I just kind of play. I just grab my instruments and I play them, like a, like a, with abandon, I sort of, you know, I would say. And then, um, and sometimes I just have a party with my instrument by myself, and I don't accomplish anything. I just, you know, kind of like, 
you know, screw around. Just doing weird roll patterns with some stupid pattern and just like have fun with it. I don't know. Or like I do my little triplet stuff. I have like some techniques, I guess, that are now like very emblematic of. I'll start whistling with it or something. pattern through a diatonic like uh, through the notes of the G chord but with weird banjo techniques you know like it just the, the, the floppy fingers dancing around I'm a I'm a kind of like a an ear oriented musician so I don't know what I'm doing half the time but I listen very intently and I I do know a lot about reading chord charts because I've played jazz as a fiddler so I know how to make melodies flow within the confines of like a roadmap you know, use chords as a roadmap, and then be like, "Oh yay, there's a note that is a half step from the notes from the third in the previous chord, or something." That kind of stuff. You know, I have definitely studied it, but harmonically, I'm sort of an idiot. Uh, but I end up coming up with, I guess, complex harmonies. Uh, harmonies. That's not even a word. Harmon uh, harmonic progressions, just out of listening to having listened, been exposed to good music. You know. How do you approach backup? On the banjo, in in uh, well, that's interesting because it depends on the genre. Of course, bluegrass is one thing, you know, but when you're backing up like like a uh, I, I, you know, there's certain things like uh, like you know, like tapping on the four like that. Like do it kind of like I, I'm influenced by jazz and South American music, so it's like I guess you could be a. This is some chords, right? You could give it some sort of groove, like. Then I'll use like a brush with my ring finger because it gives it a cool tune. Then I'll press the head, make a vibrato. It sounds like a. It's a beautiful sound. Banjo's open to all this stuff. You can do kind of like mm -hmm. swishy sounds on the. It's just such like it's so open. You can even like use the, the, the like the, the girth of your pick. Yeah, let's keep going. I want to talk some more about what makes your sound, how you describe your style, what makes your sound distinctive, and and some of your techniques. I don't know how distinctive they are because after looking at like classic banjo uh, picks, it's like obvious conclusions. You know, of course I've got metal finger picks on. I mean, it's just obvious stuff. You know, like you rub the strings across the surface of it, so you're not picking into the string. You're just like rubbing on top of them. But if you're closer to the bridge, the harmonic is produced is higher pitch. And if you're closer to the fretboard or on top of it, it goes changing. And then you kind of get like enjoy that change. explore that little change that's one technique and then there's a like meeting the strings like not fretting them the whole way kind of like Chick Corita's on the as a pianist I 
think of the left hand as of the banjo as possibly being like the felt part of the dampeners on a piano. You can do that, you know, you can you can make it ring really clear. Or you can get it that's still a sound. It's not like it's not a sound. You can get so far into that nuance, like it's amazing. You could even use your pick to like There's one song where I'm like, uh, I do, like there's one thing I... And that sounds like, if you hit it right, sounds like a pedal steel or something, just like flopping the pick right onto the 10th fret, moving it to the 12th fret, but in the context, awesome what in your mind constitutes a good player what do you listen for that's the thing it's so diverse you know I think every good musician is inherently just completely head over heels jealous of other people because they do something better than them they do something like I guess my forte is composition so I I, I write I, I can I can sculpt compositions in a beautiful way and that that's kind of like my forte and then I guess I can sort of improvise, but then I'll hear like people that are more improvise, Im- improvisation-oriented banjo players, and I'm like, God, I wish I could do that. And they do that in bluegrass, and they, but they take it to the like, they, it goes, it's like a universal approach to bluegrass. You can hear the whole musical universe through bluegrass, through their banjo improvisation. It's like, oh my God, it's a perfect mix of melodic and seagull string. It's like, oh my gosh, I wish I could do that. But I, uh, you know. Um, so there's all kinds of all kinds of stuff going on in this musical universe, and it's all really inspiring, you know. I, I mean, what you're doing on classic banjo is really inspiring. What Rex does with classical music, with banjo fingerpicks tuned in fourths, that's inspiring. What, what, uh, I guess traditional bluegrass players that play exactly like J.D. Crow played are inspiring because they keep it going. It's like everyone's doing their thing. Let them, I mean, everyone can do whatever they want. What, what do I look for, though? What do I look for, honestly? Mm-hmm. Creativity. Creativity or interpretation. Uh, but originality, authenticity. I, I Because, well, you know, that's my, that's what I go for. Mm-hmm. I, originality, authenticity. I like the creative spirit I like to hear new compositions or dredging up old compositions like I I was telling you about that a few days ago like I think that interpreting music that's already written by great composers is a is something that has to be done you have to show people what's up look this exists this music existed for banjo it still exists for banjo Um, and then like trying to compose new music for banjo I think is really cool as well so I guess, but I I like to listen for people that are passionate about their playing and that they can move my center. And when when someone's passionate about their playing and there's an element of pr- technical proficiency, it inevitably hits you and you're like, wow. And I want to yeah. be that person. I, I'll I'll go through like here at Galax, I'll go through the day being like, I want to be that guy. I want to be that girl. I want to be that girl. I want to be that guy. 
I want to be a girl guy. I want to be an amorphous little pansexual floating thing that <laughs> kind of glides into the stratosphere of banjo geekdom. How much of what you do on stage or record is improvised? Depends on which band I'm playing with. There's some bands that's like all all spirit of improvisation with Chapalache. There's snippets of improvisation, but most of it's interpretation of the music we've worked out extensively. We are doing our arrangements, and that's what we're going for. Of course, as a vocalist, I'll improvise nuances and... Uh, and everything's sort of improvised because sometimes your vocal health isn't good enough. Sometimes your thumb hurts. Sometimes you don't want to like go for something that's hard, so you modify it. You know, like musicians have make these. It's when it's when it's something you do all the time. You make decisions on the fly. You're like, I don't feel like doing this right now, so I'm going to do it this way. You know what I mean? So I guess in that way it's improvised. But like, I wouldn't say that I'm I'm doing an extremely improvisation oriented uh, assault on the world at this moment. Though I have worked as an improviser more. In the past, how do you improvise? Poorly. No, I don't know. I improvise. Uh, I just go for it. It's like a cert- when you turn on search mechanism and you just like you 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 search. You really try to feel it. You really just stretch. You know, it's that X factor thing. It's hard to like explain. You know what I'm talking about. And if anyone knows what I'm talking about, you know you know what I'm talking about. When you when you finally. When you do search and it goes it goes across well, of course you have practiced for a million hours in your whole life and all these years, and then you know you did drills, you did the scales, you did the modes, you did chord stuff, you like you've gone through practice, you've spent your entire life playing music, and then there's a moment where you just like you search, and if the searching goes well, then you found, and it's a beautiful feeling, but it's impossible to put into words. Well. I think when when you first try it out, it's sort of a leap into the void. It's a leap into the void, and it's a good leap into the void. It's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying, but then you just keep doing it because it's terrifying, and it's also addictive, and it's kind of like you want to do it. You want to be able to leap into the void and just mm-hmm. kind of survive it somehow. It's a thrill. It's a thrill. It's thrilling. Do you surprise yourself when you improvise? Sometimes, yes. Sometimes when I, I coast on a spiritual plane above and beyond the world I uh, I just know it's in me still I do know it's in me because I've done it a million times but it's not like it's always on do you um, think ahead or do you um, sometimes I think ahead sometimes I think you just let it go blank and sometimes just... I let it go blank I think it's a mix of anticipation sometimes it's uh, sometimes it's, there's no intention whatsoever sometimes you're just like you know you've probably felt that and like all of a sudden you're just like not even you you're just it's just happening it's yeah. like effortless the music is playing it's you. just playing you it's weird yeah, it sounds so cliche if you, especially if you haven't experienced if you it. haven't experienced it there's no way you can know because the only way to experience it is to be risky in life and I think a lot of musicians also lead kind of risky lives because they uh, they put it out there they, they're willing to, to sacrifice their safety um in a solo or in their lives I mean just look at them look at some of the best improvisers they weren't exactly you know uh, they weren't accountants that worked at some sort of well you don't know that I don't know that and I'm sorry if there's any accountants listening I'm sorry Uh, you can do this too what would you suggest for someone wanting to learn how to improvise on the banjo Um, to drink 
some whiskey alone in room with a candle, maybe smoke a little, you know, joint or something, and uh, and just like play a little, you know, play like a kid with abandonment, you know, and just kind of like, I mean, <laughs> I recommend the kind of stuff that you know I do or I did. Of course, you know, I'm not gonna do that on stage on the bandstand. I did that when I was a teenager. I'm gonna go for it completely sober, but I mean, get, you know, maybe use a little bit of alcohol to to shut your right brain off and just allow it to like go into the left brain and just, you know, and just, you know, sort of uh, look at that wobbly flame on that candle and sort of dance with it with your fingers. And explore textures, explore subtleties, like this note is this note, right? Could this note be? This note be. Could this note be? Could this note? I mean, this note that just that note can have a million different flavors and textures if you wanted to. <clears throat> How would you recommend that someone build up their speed? Uh, practicing extremely slow. Whatever's hard for you, practice it extremely slow, and then you'll be able to do it fast. You'll see. Just trust in that. Do you have uh, certain right-hand rolls that you prefer, or that you use more than others? I guess I do. I've started noticing that. Like, I don't even really know where they are. I really like that for some reason. Can you, can you walk us through that one? Yeah, I'll just, uh, let's see. So. so I guess that's a... I'm on the... Ninth fret of the first string with my pinky. Then I play the fifth string up into the thumb. Then I play middle finger uh, again on the first string and index on the fifth fret. Then index. Uh, I'm sorry, index in the left hand on the uh, fifth fret. So it's a. Take us through the right hand alone first. Okay. So that's middle on. Uh, I like that cycle. That was a big discovery. So it's just, I mean, it's... So that's uh, not, that's an asymmetrical... Uh, it's yeah, it's an asymmetrical... It's a seven-note thing that phrase. you cycle in four. Yeah. That helps you just like start feeling polyrhythm because it, the cycle's odd. It's not like so. I don't even know. I can't. I don't even know what I'm going for. So it's like, yeah, just feel seven or five. Do you, do you feel like you have tension in your right hand generally, or do you keep it fairly loose? When I have to play really loud to cut in a jam sometimes, but for the most part I'm really loose, yeah. Because I, I guess I, I got trained a lot, so I'm, I feel pretty, like, right hand, uh... I have more left hand issues, I suppose. 
How do you suggest someone get more volume? Um, hit the strings harder. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Isn't that what it is? How do you improve definition and clarity in your playing? Uh, definition and clarity, I would say, like again, practicing really slow. Hey, Kenny. We're in Don and Kenny's camper here at Galax. How you doing? Hey. Hey. Definition and clarity in banjo playing is uh, play slow and oh yeah, don't hit the don't hit the head of the banjo with your picks. Everyone does that. It's so sloppy. Can't do that. I, there's so many great players that ruin their sound and they get into a studio and they're like. You hear that because it's mic'd closely, and, and 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 also, it's just sloppiness. You gotta you gotta you gotta lift the fingers up a little bit more, or or uh, whittle down your thumb pick a little bit more so that it doesn't hit the head of the banjo. That's who, important. Who or what were your strongest musical influences when you were learning banjo? Bela Fleck and also uh, my banjo teachers, traditional bluegrass banjo teachers, and then the music of Bela Fleck. That's what I was listening to. Honestly. And who do you listen to these days in any kind of music? Banjo players, you mean? Or... Yeah. <sighs> it's kind of a shame. I don't... I just honestly don't listen to much banjo music whatsoever, except for old-time Hammer that I uh, don't even, like... Um, I don't even play that style. It's kind of weird. Uh, and Or Irish banjo. What, uh... What music are you listening to in general? I'm listening to... Um... What am I listening to? I'm listening to a lot of Latin American music, a lot of music from different parts of the world, a lot of world music in general, Indian music, music from Madagascar, music from North Africa, Morocco, Spanish music, a lot of flamenco. I listen to a lot of gypsy jazz. Adrian Monyar is a guitarist that I'm listening to right now. Um, I listen to Reggie Watts. And I also listen to his philosophy of life. That guy's awesome. I listen to How to Pimp a Butterfly. It's a, it's, you know, a, a, an album I've been listening to a ton. And like, oh man, I don't know. Just really varied. Sometimes I get the I get in the mood to listen to something quote unquote odd, and uh, and I do it, and I like it. How do you deal with periods of frustration with the instrument, like dry spells? Stop playing completely. I've done it for years at Wait a time. Wait for it to call you back? Wait for it to come back, and it does, and when it does, you just go with it again. It's kind of crazy. I love that idea. Yeah, well, banjo is not the instrument that I'm working on, so when I have that happen on fiddle, it's more complicated. I have to just keep playing. Yeah. So that's kind of what I'm dealing with at the moment. But I am trying to get a banjo band together. Maybe with you. <laughs> Stay tuned. Stay tuned. I just have a few more questions. Have you, uh, have you ever had any pain from playing? Um, have, how have you dealt with it? I had a little bit of, uh, I guess, pain in the left hand from stretching. It was never bad enough to where I really had to deal with it. I'd just wait a couple days or something, or I'd lay off and then go back to it, or stretch. You know. How do you tune? Very carefully. How do I tune? Oh, God, tuning is so hard to teach to students. How do you tune? I tune by ear, first of all. I try to get that good balance. 
and I'm not sure if that's completely calibrated. I definitely don't feel like when I tune with the tuner, it, it sounds good. I tune with the tuner to get it close, to get my tonal center, but then I, I make adjustments. And if I'm playing an E-flat, it's going to be slightly different. If I'm playing, like, if I want this key, whatever it is, I don't like the second string, so... Now that chord sounds better. So I guess the second string's th th the second string I'll use it flatter on certain keys. In order to be able to make it sound good, yeah, you have to first know what good sounds like to you. Exactly. That's well put. And how do you do that? Listen a lot. I at this juncture Surround have yourself a, with I, good music. Yeah, I I know I have my. I understand what I think is beautiful, and I never have a dust. So when I'm working in a band context, I'm very often the guy. It's like you know I don't like that. Sorry, it doesn't meet my aesthetic uh, criteria. Especially when I'm working with younger or less experienced musicians, I often feel like they're not doing the music justice, and we need to look harder. They'll come up with ideas that I'll shoot down, as people did to me. I think it's a rite of passage. Now, when I'm working with better musicians, I'll be like, I don't like that. And then I'm like, I'll go back, and, and a week later, I'll be like, oh, my God, they were right. That's way hip. What record are you happiest with that you're playing on? The first album that I did, uh, A Traveler's Sketches, I think is like a concept album that was really from a very... It was my first artistic statement in a way that was I love real. That record. And where where do people find your records? You can you can find both a traveler sketches, cheap sacred text, and microwaves and Latin grass, which is with Chiapalache. You can find all three of those albums on my website, JoeTroop.com. J O E T R O O P dot com. Last question, and this one could take a minute. What would you say is the future of the banjo? I'm going to try to make that happen. That's all I have to say. It's up to all of us. Yeah, I, so I'm going to do my part. What, I, can you describe what you what you have in mind? Yes. Or what you'd like to I see? I want to uh, do my original compositions with a four-piece band, probably with a bassist and a percussionist that has a light touch and a, a, a soloist instrument, possibly a violin or a saxophone. And I want to make ensemble music that is also poignant singer-songwriter intelligent like not just instrumental compositions but the, but but very um carefully selected words that are contemporary and will make people think and also make them cry and i i, I want to make people i just want to help facilitate a wide variety of human emotion and that's what good art does i think is it takes you on a your own journey. The art is like a vehicle where you get to know different aspects of yourself. In one single listen, you can go from laughing out loud to crying and to being anxious and to being uncertain and to to wonder and ponder. But if 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 any artistic statement I could ever make brings people closer to search what is search, then I'll be happy. We should call it there. Uh, keep an eye out for those guys. They sing really nice. They all play great. Beautiful. And I don't play banjo in that. My Mexican banjo student no, but does. He yes, kills it. He's really great. He's really great. They play great arrangements. 
Um, they'll be all over YouTube if you want to look for them. C H E A P A L A C H E. It's almost like a palindrome. Thanks a lot. Thank you, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. That was Joe Troop and guest host Aaron Jonah Lewis. Special thanks once again to Steve Thayer and Johnny Slumpf, who were the Patreon supporters of this episode. If you'd like to become a Patreon supporter of the show, go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. If you'd like to contact the show, I can be reached at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. But that does it for this episode. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.